This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo, as we react to the Reds' one-all draw away at Manchester City. Stalemate in the battle for the title then, but Klopp and Guardiola joining forces to wage war on the Premier League after Trent becomes the latest to suffer from the gruelling fixture list. Coming up, we'll get into the fixture congestion, take a look at Roberto Firmino's continuing conundrum for Klopp and have a word on the Reds' midfield as well. Alongside myself, Guy Clark, to do all that and more, are Paul Gorst, Ian Doyle and Matt Addison. Gentlemen, how are we all? Not bad, Guy. Not bad. Plenty to get stuck into today, I think. Yeah, it does feel as though there is a lot to get on with. Doily, what did you make of the game? You were, of course, at the Etihad. One all draw, fair result? It's a fair result, yeah. It was a bit wet, but then it was Manchester, so what do you expect? Uh, I thought the first half was very good in terms of the quality from both teams. I thought Liverpool caught City out, even though they did exactly what they do every single time they go to City, which is attempt to start really strong and then try and get an early goal. The last couple of times they haven't managed it, this time they did. Um, and But they weren't able to build on that because City, who knew, were actually quite good at football and, uh, and found a way in. We can go through all the goals a bit later on because, you know, I think it's interesting, isn't it? The two goals and the penalty, all of them ultimately came down to mistakes from the opposition, whether it was, you know, a foul from Kyle Walker or Liverpool being, being pulled out of position for, for the, the City goal and the penalty. But in the second half, I thought the players got really tired. I think it helped. The, the, the conditions didn't help. And the fact that they put so much into that first half, you've got to bear in mind, it was the seventh game in three weeks for an awful lot of those players. And having, I know we're doing the fixtures thing a bit later on, right? but but having not had a, a break in the summer, I think it's kind of caught up with quite a few of them. And, you know, as you say, Trent got the injury. But overall, I think Liverpool, let's put it this way, at the start of the week, I mean, I said, if you got two draws in the next two games, like Atalanta and City, you would have said that's a good result. They managed to get a win and a draw. They've come through, you know, since losing 7-2, they've, they've been unbeaten in those seven games. They've won the first three games of the Champions League group stage ever. The one point off Leicester, I think, and they've lost, you know, look at the players that they've lost in that time as well. I think they'd have been more than happy with where they are at the moment. Yeah, certainly. I think that second half as well proved, and I think at Ellen Road last Monday night, that the Premier League sort of pitch drainage is a lot higher than the standard of defending right now because the pitch did take an absolute battering. Matt, what did you make of the game? As Dooley said, first half, the quality was absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, particularly in the first half. I thought there was good moments from both teams in the second half. And to me, it just underlined really as much as we've seen a lot of mad results. And as you say, lots of weird defensive things and, and things happening earlier in, in the season that we don't often see in the Premier League, that, that those two teams are still the best two teams in the Premier League. I thought we saw you know, the, the quality within the lineups, the, the way that both teams on and off the ball, you know, pressed and, and set up in terms of the, the tactics and the formation. I just thought we saw yesterday really certainly in the first half but for me you know for, for a lot of the second half as well even though the, the players got tired you could see the principles of, of what Klopp and, and Guardiola were, were trying to do I think you just saw really that even though neither of, of those two teams are, are at the top of, of the table at this moment in time I think come the end of the season it, it would still be a surprise for me if they weren't one and two in, in whichever order that might well be. 
Yeah, certainly. Let's talk about the, the team selection a bit more then, Gorsty. And Liverpool going 4-2-3-1. It sort of felt to a lot of people like it was something new that Liverpool haven't really done. Of course, a couple of years ago, it was a, a go-to formation for Jurgen Klopp. But back end of last week, so much spoken about whether it be Firmino or Diogo Jota. And both started and it did start fast for Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, they've used it lately, haven't they, with games against Sheffield United and West Ham. But I think... People were kind of taken a bit aback by it, by the fact that it was played or used rather against Manchester City away, which was a fixture that Klopp called the most difficult in world football on Friday. So for him to be so bold and brave was a little bit of a surprise to everyone. But maybe it shouldn't have been. I mean, Klopp's always said that his team has to take risks to kind of achieve what, what they're looking to do. And um, I, I, I don't actually think... It works that well, if I'm honest. It certainly didn't work that well against Sheffield United. It was a little bit better maybe in the second half against West Ham. But um, strangely, the best it's looked was in that first half against City, particularly the first half hour. And I thought Liverpool really took it to, to City and were on the front foot and deserved their lead before the equaliser. So um, I think it, it possibly does have a place um, in fixtures where teams are going to get men behind the ball and the pool aren't going to have to do as much work in midfield where Henderson and Wijnaldum at times looked a little bit overworked um, towards, particularly in, in, in the second half when Liverpool were pretty much running on empty, weren't they? But um, I think it will be a, a horses for courses approach. I think more often than not, he's still going to utilise the, the three in midfield and, and just the three up front. But it's good that they've got the option to, to change it as and when. I mean, Pep has said that the start of the season that the next thing for Liverpool was to become unpredictable and, and I think playing that at Manchester City was as unpredictable as, you, as you're likely to get this season from Liverpool so um, it was an interesting one. Yeah it certainly wasn't all too expected was it Doyley but you were there you saw that blistering sort of first half an hour will Liverpool look back on the game and think maybe they should have sort of got more goals on the board and put City sort of out of reach at that stage because it, it really was a strong start. It was. I don't think even at 2-0, City would have been out of reach. That's not the, the kind of team that they are. I mean, City can you know, come at you from, from all angles, which is what they ended up doing. That's how they got the goal. Uh, yeah, Liverpool Klopp said it after the game, didn't he? He said, we, sh- you know, we should have created... The interesting thing is that they, they got in the box so often, certainly the first half, but they just didn't get a shot off or played the wrong pass. And I'm not sure why that was. Uh, they should have just, you know, had more of a go in terms of just having a having a punt at a goal. You saw Trent Alexander Arnold actually had one towards half time, and that nearly went straight through Edison. You know that was slightly down to the conditions, but also he's probably shocked that he actually had a shot to save. I mean, Firmino had the one chance, didn't he, at, right at the start where he was through. That was an interesting one because I think everybody thought he was offside. I wonder whether he thought he was offside as well, but obviously he saw the replay and he wasn't. The keeper did well though, but did that chance come too early? I don't know. But uh, overall, I think Liverpool. Gorsty's right, they were running on empty. I think, uh, to be honest, I think to, to a certain degree, City were as well. And uh, I was slightly surprised by the substitutions for Liverpool. Obviously, Milner was an enforced one with uh, Alexander-Arnold going off. It was interesting that Shaqiri came on as well, wasn't it? You know, he's somebody who a couple of weeks ago was absolutely nowhere, and now he's coming on in, a, in the biggest game of the season. You know, there were other players on the on the, uh, on the the bench who perhaps could have come in and done a job in midfield. You look at Keita, Curtis Jones, people like that. But... You know, they, they tried to stay on the front foot in the second half, but it was it was too difficult for them. As I said before, the conditions didn't help. The fact that City got to grips with Liverpool's formation, Klopp said it himself, we caught them out in the first 20 minutes. But after that, I think City got to grips with it and were able to uh, 
were able to I wouldn't say control the game, but they didn't exactly look as though they were in much trouble of conceding a goal in the second half. But then again, neither were Liverpool. It was just it was a an attritional second half, the kind of thing that you see when two teams who've, who've had a bit of a go in the first half, they, they're a bit wary in the second half. Neither of them wanted to get beat, to be honest. I think that's what we saw in the last 20 minutes with, I think there was, um, I'm not sure whether you saw it on television, but Phil Foden was getting ready to come on for, for Manchester City. And he was there, ready to come on. And then I think City had like about an attack or Liverpool. Had, something happened where basically Guardiola just went, nah, sit down. And he never came on. And I think... City only made one sub and Liverpool made two, which considering the, the chat we'll be doing in a bit about the fixtures and the you know the the, the pressures on, on on strains on the players, it seems a bit odd that they both of them didn't make all of the subs that they were available. You know, they won five but they couldn't use three. Yeah, certainly. Matt, on sort of how the game did play out, of course, Liverpool getting the lead, not adding to that. I suppose the the equal I Equaliser was the first real time that Liverpool did switch off anyway in defence. Kevin De Bruyne finds a, a pocket of space and then Gabriel Jesus equalises. And then, of course, there's the issue with Joe Gomez that gives City the penalty, which thankfully, of course, Kevin De Bruyne put wide of the target. Yeah, I noticed Gary Neville on, on commentary was pretty sort of damning in the way that Wijnaldum had got out of position and, and stuff like that. But I just think at some point in a game, you're not going to be perfect defensively, even though Liverpool generally were, were really, really good in the, the shape that they took up and, and the tactics they employed. At some point, you are going to let something happen. And when you've got players playing against you, some, you know, someone like Kevin De Bruyne can put a ball in or the turn from Gabriel Jesus. I think there was, you know, again, some suggestion that, that maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold should have been better. But for me, it's just two pieces of, of real quality. If you, you look at the turn from Gabriel Jesus, I think it's more a case of, you know, that's just a world-class piece of skill that you sometimes just can't defend against rather than, you know, turning and saying Trent should do better defensively. I think you should probably just applaud Jesus and say it was really sharp, really good finish and, and well done to them. So, yeah, there was a couple of moments where Liverpool did let City come in. But look, if Liverpool play like that against pretty much any team in the world, they won't get beaten, and that's what we saw against City. I think you know you, you can criticise Liverpool for those two moments, but I'd rather you know turn it the other way around and, and say that actually for eighty nine and a half minutes they were absolutely exceptional. So yeah, it, it's difficult. And then you look at the, the VAR decision, the handball. It is by the letter of the law a penalty, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of discussion about whether it should or, or shouldn't have been. Thankfully for Liverpool, Kevin De Bruyne put it wide anyway, so it didn't end ending up matter. Yeah, and Doyle, as you said in your uh, your verdict after the game, first what penalty in the Premier League to completely miss the target since Riyad Mahrez? What a brilliant coincidence that was! But, uh, earlier though, Gorsty Doyle mentioned that chance for Roberto Firmino. We best have a chat about him. Am I maybe being harsh in thinking that once he'd broken that offside trap, he could have tried to lob Edison? A mate of mine described him as a sitter, and I was sitting there thinking, "Have I missed?" Have I missed the chance, or you know, have I just had my head buried in a in a blog update and I've missed a you know a, a glorious chance? I mean, it was a tough one, wasn't it? The, the flag did eventually go up, um, so at the time I assumed it was offside. But seeing it back on the replays, he actually wasn't, was he? He kind of sprung it quite well, and actually, it was a good piece of goalkeeping. But there's no doubt that the um, the conundrum goes on for for Firmino. Um, if you look at it, Jota is absolutely flying, isn't he? Seven goals already, and Everyone's talking about him kind of looking to break up that front three and Mane's just being his usual self. Salah scoring more goals than, than ever. He, you know, he's never scored 10 goals at this stage of the season when he's been at Liverpool. 
and Firmino just can't seem to kind of get out of, of first gear. He, he obviously had the goal against was it Sheffield United, the, the equaliser. Um, but other than that, he's he hasn't even looked like scoring really. But that's obviously not why he's in the team. But his all round play seems to be a little bit off, a little bit just just kind of lacking in a bit of sharpness that normally he's um, he's famed for. So it's it's a tough one. I, I'm kind of almost burying my head in the sand at the moment and hoping that he just comes back from international duty kind of renewed and I'm back to his normal self because um, it's been what, what I mean, now five weeks into the season, two months really and, and we're still kind of questioning it so um, something needs to, to give at some point I think yeah, Doily, in terms of this physical fatigue, of course, but maybe for Roberto Firmino, is it mental fatigue as much as anything? He has played so much football, as you said as well, not really a break from the end of the season. Last international break, he was flying out to Peru and back. He, he doesn't really seem to have had any time at all to have switched off. Yeah, it's always been high-level football, isn't it? Liverpool compete for the Champions League and the Premier League and the Club World Cup and Brazil. You know, every time you step out onto the pitch for Brazil, there's huge pressure from a massive country. The interesting thing for me is Jota came in and just, he didn't really do anything, did he? He looked tired. And that's the kind of pressure that he's been put under in terms of the the, the games for the last couple of weeks. But Firmino's had that for about four or five years now. So it's no wonder he's a little bit tired because it's almost been almost relentless for him. Um but yeah, I thought Liverpool's. I mean, going back to what Matt said about the two goals. Sorry, the goal that City got and the um, and the penalty. Both of them came from. I'm pretty right in Mane not doing the the proper work defensively. It, it was Wijnaldum had to go out because Mane had been allowed. To, you know, City did quite well actually. Was it something like 17, 18, 19 passes to get the ball out there? So they they worked it from left to right, and Mane had kind of not switched off, but he wasn't particularly paying full attention and Wijnaldum had to go across and as soon as that happened you saw oh, De Bruyne is clipped in you know in a bit of space and this kind of the same thing happened for the penalty I'm sure it was the back heel that he tried for Robertson which is why Robertson wasn't there when De Bruyne was running down the wing because it, it, it didn't uh, he didn't execute it properly I'm sure is that right for the penalty or was that a different chance or was it the chance for when Sterling saved one of those two was definitely that anyway so the point being is that even when Klopp said in the past about, you know, we defend from the front, there's an example of when you don't get it right, you play against a team like City, that it suddenly puts the defenders under pressure. And when you're playing the four up front, one of them gets it wrong, there's one fewer midfielder to cover for them. And that's what happens. City ends up getting a, a player free in the middle. So, yeah, I think another question was about Firmino. Uh, Firmino, in, I thought he did okay in the first 25 minutes. I thought it was all right. Second half, he just almost completely disappeared. Which again, whether that's him just being bogged down in the whole, the whole game or everything that, that when it's playing on his mind, I don't know. But he just wasn't involved. And Liverpool did perk up a little bit when Shakiri came on. He, he kind of allowed Jota to go over onto the other flank. Or but it, I don't know. The the thing with the four up front is that, and with Gorsty, it doesn't seem to work with those four. Or rather, it does work in very short bursts. And it would work better as a 4-2-3 when Fabinho's back because we've seen loads of times, as, as guys you said previously, last season as well, you think of a game like uh, Salzburg, when Liverpool went 3-0 up, they got it back to 3-all. Liverpool went to 4-2-3-1 and it gave them a bit more solidity in midfield because of who was there. And then Salah scores the winner. So there's been a few examples of it changing in, in the course of a game where it's helped them defensively. But this time, because of the players they were playing, it was you know almost 4-2-4 at times, wasn't it? So it, is, it isn't so much about the formation, it's about the players who are selected for it. 
And I think we'll see 4-2-3-1 a lot more. But as Ghosty said, to play it in a game against City was a, you know, it was a, a show faith, but it was one that they must have known that they weren't able to carry that through for the full 90 minutes. Yeah, it was definitely brave. On the point you made about Sadio Mane impressing, I think there was one even earlier on where I thought Firmino first half in particular, Matt, was brilliant at sort of screening Rodri, stopping the ball going into him and starting the moves from deep. But there was one passage of play where City couldn't get it out of sort of their back line. It went back to Edison. Mane went and closed that one down. All of a sudden there was a gap to exploit and they did play out of. Firmino, certainly that first half an hour, was doing brilliant work off the ball and helping win it back. But as as Doyle said, he did seem to sort of just disappear and vanish maybe. Didn't even come out after the halftime whistle. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult period for him, isn't it? I think it's you know, partly a tiredness thing and, and partly possibly just a confidence thing that it's not quite clicking for him at the moment. I mean, just in, in terms of what Doyle said there and in, in terms of it being more of a 4-2-4, I wonder whether that was deliberate, as you say, that, that Mane and, and Jota were so high up the pitch to try and, and pen City in with the way that they play, the way that they try and essentially do what Arsenal are now doing under Mikel Arteta, of course. He's obviously got that from the way that City play. They will always you know, try and play the ball out of, of the back, try and create angles and do that. I wonder whether that was a deliberate ploy. And, and that does help Roberto Firmino. But then in that second half, as the whole team tires, it is more difficult to, to keep those front four all pressing forward and all as far up the pitch. Because then, of course, if they're a bit more tired, they can't get back and, and get into shape if City do get out. So... Yeah, for Firmino off the ball, we know what he brings. I thought he did that, you know, generally pretty well until he got tired, as did the, you know, the rest of his teammates. But it's more on the ball when it's a bit more of a, an issue and a bit more of a problem because it, it just doesn't look quite as as fluid as, as maybe it has in the past. And is it time to to give him a little bit of a, a rest? Quite possibly, Liverpool do have the the other options. I thought Zedan Shakiri again looked really really good when he came off the bench. It might just be a case of, of giving Firmino a couple of games off, letting him reset and, and hoping that his confidence comes back as his sort of fitness and uh, ability to, to sort of do that role in the way that he can comes back as well. But it's a difficult one to, to try and solve. But I thought there were there were some promising signs yesterday, but at the same time, they kind of were undone in, in the second half as much as it looked good in the first. Yeah, certainly. So there were four attackers on the pitch then, Gorsty. Two only in the midfield in Jordan Henderson and Jeannie Wijnaldum. And up against Man City, there was an awful lot of work for them to get through. And they, they did, by and large, do the job diligently. They did. Um, I mean, it's, it's what you'd expect, isn't it, from, from both, really. Both very tried and trusted members of, of the Liverpool team. And I thought Henderson in particular was excellent. Um, there just seems to be... Something missing when, when he's not there. I mean, I, I don't know whether you've seen the video from uh, the, the club put out this week when he, you just hear him kind of barking the orders during the Atalanta game and it just adds so much to to everyone, you know, just kind of encouraging and, and shouting at them when, when it's needed to be. And um, that is exactly what you want from a captain and, and he leads by example. Um, I thought he was excellent and Juan Alden wasn't too far behind them apart from losing the ball once in, in a bit of a dangerous situation. Um but yeah, I mean, I think when you go to City, I do think if you're going to need at least three in that midfield to, to kind of stop De Bruyne in particular picking up the pockets of space. He, I mean, he's so good at finding, finding that space because no doubt every team looks at City and thinks, well, he's the man that they've got to stop. So they work throughout the week on trying to do that and he still manages to pick up these little pockets of space where he can harm teams and, and hurt them. And um, I think if Liverpool would have had a third midfielder in there, it would have limited that a little bit more but um, 
that would have taken a little bit away from the way that Liverpool started the game uh, with, with the front four. So it was a, it was a tough one. Um, and I'm not convinced that um, Liverpool have the midfielders fit at the moment to, to be able to do that. I mean, Milner was the obvious one. Um, sure, we're going to get into to, to that in a minute, but um, he was needed to come on and play at right back, wasn't he? So um, it was a tough one, and particularly for the last half hour, Liverpool were absolutely shattered. So they, they'd have come away with that, thinking that this is a very big point because um, it's still five points between them and City that the two were going to likely challenge for, for the top spot. So um, all things considered, it was a, a good afternoon for Klopp if um, the injury to Alexander-Arnold was another massive uh, frustrating point. Yeah, you get Jordan Henderson an 18-year player ratings story after the game. Of course, the international break's now upon us. He's had to wait and bide his time a bit to get himself fully fit and really into the groove for Liverpool this season. But I suppose now everybody's just hoping that he comes back from the international break absolutely fine because these last two games, he's been absolutely pivotal. Yeah, well, the last international break, Klopp sent him out first. Basically, saying, I hope he gets some games. So he needed some needed some game time. So probably a little bit different this time. But though, though he was out for you know, was it nearly two months, ten weeks actually? Wasn't it more than two, more than two months that he was out when he got injured against Brighton? So in terms of overall fitness fatigue, I don't think that should really be affecting him too much. He's had his minutes managed quite well in the Champions League. He played one half against, uh, well, he played one half in the first two games. Then he played sixty minutes in the third game. So. I think he's being kind of reserved for the Premier League because you know Liverpool needs to get the points on the board, which is what they've been doing after the say the defeat to to Aston Villa. Going back to uh, Wijnaldum, yeah, it was the, the Sterling chances when Wijnaldum lost the ball. That was that was the one, um, and which was to be fair, as as Gorsi said, that was probably the only time he lost it. And the the, the ball he got from Allison wasn't the best either, was it? He had two players on him straight away. It wasn't a, it? Wasn't a an all-round great piece of football from the goalkeeper. He was home with the save later on. But one Alden, yeah, he's, he's he's an interesting one. It's amazing how many of these big games that he plays in, which is why it was such a big deal the other year when he didn't play against Barcelona in the in the semi-final second leg, and we saw what happened when he came on in the second half there. So, you know, he is somebody that the club trusts, and he's he's kind of he's quietly just stepped up this season again, hasn't he? He did have all that. Um, obviously, he's still not signed his contract. And to be perfectly honest, I'd be surprised if he did now. I think he, if if he goes on a free transfer to wherever he wants to go at the end of the season, I don't think anybody could blame him. He's been brilliant for Liverpool, much better than I think any any of us thought he could actually could be when he arrived. I mean, when he arrived, he, he wasn't necessarily a central midfielder, was he? he was a an attacking player, and people think, well, where's he going to play? But he's played in just about every position for Liverpool. Obviously, in the, the Barcelona in the first game, he was up front, so uh, that didn't work quite so well. But He's played centre-back. He's somebody who, as I say, when these big games come along, he's always there because Klopp knows that he's going to get a 7 or an 8 out of 10, no matter what. It's very rare that he, certainly in the last couple of years, he did tend to go a little bit missing when in these big away games, at least, when he first arrived at Anfield. But since then, he's been a very, very important, important player for them. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Let's have a talk about Jeannie Wijnaldum then and Liverpool's midfield is importance to it. Those watching on YouTube can see the graphic on the screen. Those listening, basically, we've a list of minutes played in all competitions for Liverpool over the last two and a bit seasons now. And you'll see Jeannie Wijnaldum for the midfield players at Liverpool 
plays by far more minutes than anyone else. And Matt, just sort of on the whole contract situation and Jeannie Vinaldum's importance, how key is it to Liverpool that they do still try and do what they can to try and get him to stay? Because he's he's such a key player for Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you look at those minutes and you can tell immediately how important he is. You were, were saying before he's, I think, played in 80 of the last 84 Premier League matches that, that Liverpool have had over the last two and a bit seasons. 74 of those were starts. So, you know, if, if he's not started 10 out of 84 matches for, for Liverpool, that pretty much sums up, you know, his importance because essentially if he is fit, he's going to be on that team sheet. So, I think there was a, a little bit of a discussion over the summer over you know whether Thiago could come in, Genie Wijnaldum could leave. But I think what the first few weeks of this season has shown, and even though we haven't seen a great deal of Thiago, is that they are very, very different players. They offer very different things and they can work very well alongside each other, certainly in the same squad, but probably in the same team as well when both of them are fit. So, yeah, going forward, it's a really strange one that, that Liverpool haven't already looked to, to tie down Wijnaldum. As Doherty said, it doesn't look like it at this stage that they will keep him beyond next summer, which is a massive shame. And, and you wonder what the, the sort of plan and the way that they go about replacing him is, because I think certainly against Manchester City yesterday, you look at, at Wijnaldum and Henderson in that midfield too. I don't think there's any other Liverpool midfielder that you would have put in there and played a 4-2-3-1. If, if one of Wijnaldum or Henderson wasn't fit, I don't think you'd have seen, for example, you know, Curtis Jones and Genie Wijnaldum together in a midfield too. I think what Henderson and, and Wijnaldum have is a pretty unique skill set in terms of being able to, to get about the pitch, to be able to cover essentially two or three positions from the, the one central midfield berth that they occupy. So... If you look at the minutes, you look at the way that Wijnaldum has been used by Jurgen Klopp, you do sort of question what the next thing will be for Klopp because, you know, as you rightly point out, he's been such a, a monumental part of, of Liverpool every single, or pretty much every single game since he's come into the club. Does it boil down to trust as well, Gorsley, that Jurgen Klopp knows that Obviously, Wijnaldum's won his trust, but he can trust Wijnaldum whether it to be to play different roles or whether it quite simply be to get out on the pitch. We see the likes of Oxlade-Chamberlain, Cater and Thiago's even fallen into the bracket. Brilliant and uh, very good players, but none of them seem to be able to string a run of games together quite like Wijnaldum. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think if you... If you... Look at Wijnaldum and, and specifically watch him for games. You, you kind of see how much work he gets through, and that's so important, isn't it, for, for the Liverpool midfield? He's always, well, he allows the likes of Robertson and Alexander Arnold to go forward as often as they do because he always kind of covers in between that fullback and, and centre midfield role in, in those types of, of areas. Um, Henderson does as well, to be fair, and, and obviously Fabinho is more often than not kind of rooted in there anyway as the defensive midfielder. So, um, he gets through so much and, and allows everyone else to play in, in that Liverpool team and, and they've got enough players who can do that in the team um, to the point where he doesn't have to focus or worry about being a you know a box-to-box number 10 type of player that he was at Newcastle and, and that he is for, for Holland. So it's a very different role that he plays and, and yeah, as Dodie says, it doesn't look like there's any kind of um, news on the contract front for him, which um, would be a shame if Liverpool... Um, see him go for nothing um, then you, you, you're you thinking will there be a replacement or was Thiago his replacement and Liverpool are just going to play a season with a kind of extra number in, in that midfield area 
So it'll be interesting to see what happens next summer. But for now, he's a Liverpool player, and um, from what he's shown so far, he's just just as important as ever to the cause. He's, he's played the most minutes already this season, and um, again, he's he's going to be so vital to the to the team um, because, as we've seen already, um, injuries will will bite, and and he's someone who generally keeps himself fit, isn't he? Yeah, on that minutes front, and and as you say about injuries, Naby Keita over sort of the last two now and a bit seasons has amassed three thousand five hundred and twenty nine minutes, which Gini Vijnaldum has surpassed in each of the the last two full seasons. But Doily, do we see with Vijnaldum as well out of possession, as Gorsty referenced there, as much as in possession, just how important he is to this Liverpool team, whether it be helping the front players go and press, knowing that he's effectively behind them, or whether it be Robertson going forward that he. He sort of seems to be the glue in that midfield and sort of within the system for Liverpool. Well, he can read the game as well, can't he? So he's got good game intelligence. He knows the system. He's been there for that long. He knows what's required, whether it's 4-3-3, whatever. Wherever he's played in all of those, all of those formations, he knows the way Liverpool play. He knows the way his manager wants him to play. So... In that sense, going back to what was mentioned about the trust, is that, yeah, they've both got trust of each other. And I think, um, I mean, the Cater comparison's a bit, you know, Cater's, it's not just him, is it? There are other, as you mentioned, there are other players like Oxlade-Chamberlain, who, who, to be fair, last season didn't get injured that often, did he? He played and he was involved, certainly, in the match day squad in nearly all of the games. He's very, he's very rarely injured, uh, which is, you know, that was good for him, given the fact that he missed a full season. But going back to Wijnaldum and his future, I think possibly, looking at it now, you can see why Liverpool were happy to keep him for this season if he's going to go at the end of the season for nothing, simply because they must have known what was coming in terms of the workload, the possible injuries. You know, OK, midfield is an area where Liverpool are actually quite well well stopped because you know they could have had, you know, Milner came on, we mentioned Curtis Jones was the navigator, so if they'd have gone three in midfield, they could have played one of those, or even Shaqiri, so... In that sense, it's not too bad, but then that also then underlines just how important Juan Eldam is because they've got all these midfielders and he still keeps on playing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Thiago comes back because then you've got, and Fabinho might be back around the same time, and suddenly you've got four you know, top-rate midfielders going into possibly three and sometimes only two positions. And that's when maybe he'll get a bit of a rest because he'll deserve it more, as much as anybody else because he'll need it because... Of the games that are coming up. Yeah, and the only game that he hasn't started in the Premier League this season, I think I'm right in saying, is the Merseyside derby, of course, in which Thiago Alcantara did start. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Matt, final point on Vinaldum. There's been a lot of comparison, of course, with the situation with Emre Chan, but it will leave a very different void, won't it, at Liverpool? Emre Chan never really sort of nailing down that full sort of starting berth within the side. Vinaldum, as we've demonstrated, has been such a key player now for what, five seasons? Yeah, I mean, I, I was never a massive fan of Emery Chan, to be honest. I wasn't the biggest fan of the way that he settled into the, the Liverpool team. I think, you know, he, he is a good player in his own right, but he's certainly nowhere near as, as important or nowhere near as good as, as what Gini Wijnaldum is for Liverpool. I think if Liverpool were to lose Wijnaldum, which, you know, it looks like will be the case in, in the same way as, as Emery Chan, you lose him on a free transfer, it would just be a completely different kind of loss. I don't think you can really compare the two situations. Obviously, both of them, you know, gave everything and, and played when they were asked to and will continue to, to do so when Alderman and give us all for the rest of this season. But at the same time, you know, you, you do look at, at the gap that he will leave behind and it's a very, very different sort of prospect. I think Liverpool 
are a much better team now, obviously, than when Emery Chan departed. But Gini Wijnaldum at the same time is a much bigger part of this squad than, than Emery Chan was at, at, at the Liverpool squad at, at that moment in time. So, yeah, for me, the, the only similarity really is that they would lose a player in midfield on a, a free transfer rather than the actual quality of the two individuals themselves. So, look, Emery Chan will, will have a good career, but Gino Wijnaldum will be a much, much bigger loss for, for Liverpool. And it's going to be really interesting to, to see what they do in terms of a possible replacement next summer. Yeah, we'll be one to keep an eye on. If that's a loss then to come further down the road, Gorsley, there's a more imminent and pressing loss that Liverpool may have to deal with, that being Trent Alexander-Arnold going off injured with what looks like a calf injury ahead of the international break. Jurgen Klopp confirming he won't be part of the England setup, but Liverpool can't really afford to lose him for, for too long, can they? They can't, no. I mean, he's, he's going to have a scan today and then Liverpool will have a clearer idea of how long he's going to be out for, but um, I suppose the international break is coming at, at an opportune time as far as that goes. I mean, it's it's just another defensive injury for Liverpool, isn't it? Uh, Virgil van Dijk one was, was not really a muscle injury, and we, we've spoken about that at length, but Fabinho pulled up the hamstring injury, and now uh, Trent's got this calf problem. Um, it's, it's, it's just such a... I mean, it, it, it's not really bad luck, it's just kind of a product of the of everything over the last few months. I mean, Liverpool, well, no player had a, a proper pre-season scheduled at D and, and they've been playing three games a week for the past two months. So, um, you know, it, it's no surprise to see these happening. And I've seen Pep Guardiola came out a couple of weeks back and said that the muscle injuries are up by as much as 47% at this stage of the season than they were last season. And um, it's no surprise, really, with, with the with everything that's gone on in terms of the calendar and the schedule and, and need to to um, to not compromise as, as much as perhaps they, they should have in terms of the, the entire football calendar. I mean, I think it's ludicrous that we're going off for a round of international fixtures now and, and it's international teams are playing a friendly on top of the, the two, you know, um, competitive games. And I say competitive games loosely because I think some of them are, are Nations League, aren't they? And there's questions over whether that should be going ahead when the Euros are going ahead next summer. And um, this is what happens, unfortunately, when, when the, the demand on the players is so great, you're eventually going to get injuries. And it's something the clubs lobbied for, for for as long as I can remember, you know, moaning about, well, say moaning. Um, he, he does have, you know, valid points, but um, to people who just see it as Liverpool's manager moaning, it's coming across, it's just complaining for the sake of it. But um, he does have some very valid points when he says that, um, it dilutes the quality of the games when the game's best players are on the shelf injured so it's just another one that Liverpool are, unfortunately for now are going to have to grin and bear and try to get, get him back on the pitch as soon as possible it is crazy when you, you look at it and think about it Dolly the sort of three of Liverpool's what you'd say first choice 11 in Alexander-Arnold, Fabinho and now Van Dijk are all injured, only eight league games into the new season. It should be when they're maybe sort of at their, their fittest, getting towards optimal fitness. Of course, Van Dijk's was a freak injury, but I suppose it is only really the, the fixture list to blame here. I don't even think it's so much the fixture list. It is partly. I just think it's the lack of ghost. He's had the lack of preparation for this season. I think they were out for so long, weren't they? Three months, came back and Liverpool obviously they weren't going 100% for their final final few games because they'd already won the league, which is fair enough. But then there was at the end of a couple of friendlies. Then they were playing the the Community Shield, and then it was you know another week for I'm pretty sure it was international games, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? International games, and then into the season. And 
the thing as well is the games that have been played certainly last month have all been massive games it's not like like last season where you play a champions league game one one midweek then you might play a league cup game then you might play a, a champions league game again in that league cup game you play a completely different team or liverpool would anyway and a, a lot of the, the other teams who were in the uh, in the champions league would do it as well but liverpool have had to play a big premier league game big champions league game so so chelsea so for uh, city so united and and you know, same again for, for Leicester and Tottenham in the Europa League, although that's not quite as difficult. And, oh, look at the two teams who are top of the league, Leicester and Tottenham. So what a surprise that is there when you look at that. And this is going to be the same again after the next international break until they finally go up to, I think it's I think it's a round of midweek Premier League games then, isn't it? And then there's and then there's a week of, uh, of the League Cup quarterfinals, then it's Christmas. So it is going to be relentless when they come back. But uh, in terms of Trent, it's a slight concern if it is his calf because Allison had that last season. He was out for two months. And if Trent's out for two months here, bearing in mind that that would take him to that would take him to, to next year, wouldn't it? Like January. And you're looking at, you know, FA Cup third round, possibly something like that. I said, do we still have an FA Cup third round? I don't know. It's just, it's just, still, everything's just leaked. <laughs> the other, I know they have the FA Cup this week. It went extra time of penalties, wasn't it? No replays. Yeah. So, yeah, the results decided uh, on the day. Yeah. Yeah, at least that's one uh, one extra game that they will be playing, possibly. Um, but yeah, if he's out for that, he's, he's going to miss loads of games. The, the, the thing for Liverpool that will be important over the next few weeks is beating Atalanta at home, because then they'll have got through, and then they'll have two midweeks where they know they're through to the next round of the Champions League, and they might be able to massively rotate their teams. And that could be a massive deal for Klopp. And I would, I would expect him to make mention of that a bit nearer, nearer the time and underline how important that'll be. But if they don't do that, then it, it's another two, three games in, in midweek where they're, where they're having to put a very strong team out and then come back to the Premier League and, and play against teams who may have just had the entire week off we could prepare for the uh, prepare for the game. And then and we're going to talk about it in a second, about the five substitutes. That's where the difference is between the teams who don't have the squads and are going, well, the five substitute rule helps us helps helps the top teams, but it also you know it kind of that's negated by the fact that the top teams are playing a lot more games than than the likes of those in the bottom half of the table. Yeah, we'll take a look at the the fixture list very shortly. But Matt, just last point on Trent: how sort of big a blow could this be? That not only when Liverpool are already somewhat weakened in defence with Virgil Van Dijk out, it also I suppose blunts the attack. Given we know how important he is going forward, albeit perhaps not been a, at his best going forward this season. Yeah, it's a, a massive concern, isn't it, in terms of attacking? But for me, it, it's just as much of a concern defensively as well, because Liverpool have already been very disrupted in that back line. There's only really you know, Robertson and, and Gomez who've, who've been there consistently. Matip has only just come back, and you know who knows whether he'll be able to stay fit over the next few weeks. So Jurgen Klopp said himself, didn't he, before the Manchester City game, that essentially he could play in that match because then he'd had two two weeks to recover. I mean, normally you're not going to have two weeks with which to, to recover from a single match. It's going to be more like two or three days. So you'd imagine that Matip could pick up something quite easily. Alisson, of course, has, has had his troubles between the start of the season and now. So it's just that chopping and changing, isn't it, at the back line? You, you want in any area of the pitch that to be the sort of consistent basis where you have the same goalkeeper, you have the same centre-backs, the same full-backs. And 
it's just another thing for, for Jurgen Klopp to think about because if Trent is out for a sustained period of time, again, it's going to be more chopping and changing and, and more different swaps in and out. I think possibly if it had been a, a little bit more consistent at the back, we might, for example, have seen Kostas Simikas when he's been fit. We've still not really seen much of, of him at all in a Liverpool shirt, but there's just been so much changing in that back line. You, you just want as much consistency as possible in, in any season, really. But, yeah, certainly if, if Trent is out, that would just exacerbate that point even more, really. Yeah, and the good news keeps coming for Liverpool with the fixture list. Games absolutely everywhere. You look after the international break, of course. Gorsty, you mentioned that there's going to be three games coming up for most countries during the international break. But let's take a look at Liverpool's fixtures then to come, the back end of the international break. These are the next six in the Premier League. So four of the next five in all competitions are going to be at Anfield for Liverpool. But Gorsty, looking at the run of fixtures, it isn't until the 19th of December away to Crystal Palace after which Liverpool will have a full week in which to get some rest and recuperation into their players whether it be Champions League games with Atalanta Ajax and Midtjylland or that game with Tottenham Hotspur on the 16th of December it, it, it is weekend midweek all the way until the uh, 19th of December it is uh, and I think I think this run is it's kind of the byproduct of being a being a big club, being a super club. I mean, as much as I agreed with Klopp's claims of um, perhaps bringing back re- reviewing the five substitute rule and, and the, the the exertion on the players is, is basically hurting them. Um, as much as I agree with that, he actually said October's like the, just the the December fixture run and November's like the December fixture run, and it's not really true. I, I've had a look at it earlier today and. Um, Liverpool between October the first and November the thirtieth last season, Liverpool played twelve games, and in that same time frame this season, they'll play twelve games as well. So it's not, um, although it might feel like more, it's not necessarily more games. I don't know whether that's just because Liverpool went a little bit further in the Carabao Cup last season, or whatever it may be. It's just kind of the way it's worked out. But um, I think Liverpool are in a good position in the Champions League that um, they might be able to rest and rotate a little bit more particularly with um, with the games at home aren't they, against Ajax and, and Atalanta and that one at Michelin is the last one of the group games where you'd imagine Liverpool would probably have qualification already secured against the team that's the weakest in the group so they can heavily rotate in that one um, so it's, um, it's going to be difficult it's always tough numbers are thin because of the injuries but um, Still fancy Liverpool to to be able to juggle it um, as expertly if they if they have during this kind of uh, session in between either an international break and um, you know that will keep them in in good stead for, for the Premier League title challenge. Is looking at the fixture list, Doyle is sort of I suppose one silver lining for Liverpool that of course they've already had the derby at Goodison Park this season already been away to Chelsea away to Manchester City that the inverted commas tough games coming up Leicester Wolves and Tottenham before Christmas are all going to be at Anfield as opposed to being away from home two points I mean with Leicester they probably enjoy playing away from home because of the way that they set up they just you know you've seen the games that they've lost I think it was it Aston Villa home and West Ham at home were games where they were expected to attack and the other team just went nah, not going to be bothered with this we're just going to sit back come on have a go so uh, yeah so th- I can't imagine Liverpool doing that but yeah, they, they, the game last season at Anfield was a close one against Leicester they obviously needed that penalty late on 
But again, that's the game. That's the game straight after the international break. So we don't even know when the game's going to get played yet. Imagine if that gets switched to a half twelve on a on the Saturday morning. You can imagine Klopp's going to go absolutely spur. Um, but I, I, well, having said that, I hope it's not eight o'clock on a Saturday night. That would not be good. That was I've got a bad, I, Yeah, I've got, I've got a bad feeling it's going to be eight o'clock on a Saturday. You know, they'll just move it because. Well, we don't even know what's going on with the television, do we? we and we know there's not going to, almost certain there's not going to be pay-per-view. And you'd expect it's going to be on Sky or BT like all the games will be, so who knows when it's going to get played. Uh, but yeah, the, Liverpool came through. I mean, regardless of regardless of the state of the season, Liverpool's fixture list was hard for, the first, for those first eight games. As you mentioned, they played Arsenal at home, which while Arsenal are better than they were, I'll admit that, um, it's it's always it is always a it's become a tough game for Liverpool. Let's be honest, they, they got beat three times. Admittedly, two was on penalties, so they don't really count. Um, and they played at Chelsea, uh, played at Everton. You say played get played at City. Uh, it's almost as though if you te- the Villa game has just become this kind of massive anomaly with with just not so much Liverpool season, but every, not even Aston Villa season actually. To be fair, because no, they've, done, they've 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 done well, but. You know, on the day that they, I'm pretty sure they didn't expect to win seven two. If they didn't win two nil or two one, then fair enough. I mean, yeah, they're a good team, but they only scored three against Arsenal. You know, so they, they can't be all that, can't be all that much. Um, but uh, yeah, Liverpool come through. That's why they'll be made up at the way things have gone so far. The next cup, the next couple of games, Leicester's a big one for me uh, because imagine if Liverpool lose that and then suddenly they've got. All them games coming up, and so, and people will be asking the questions again. You know, there won't be any Trent, won't be any Van Dyke. No suggestion Fabinho is going to be back then. Who knows what Thiago's up to? Suddenly, it's suddenly the pressure's then back on them. So by just getting these results, whether it's like at City getting a draw or Everton getting a draw, and then just getting through the games against West Ham and Sheffield United, they're building up a bit of momentum, and they're making sure that you know that that kind of pressure is not on them. I mean, one funny thing that happened at the game. And I know Gorsi's gonna gonna. I'll, I'll let Gorsi intervene in a minute because I know he feels quite strongly on this. Is that Robbie Savage was sat near sat near me, and uh, literally before the game, he was just like spouting out, "Oh, Leicester can win the league this year. Oh, you know, oh, Tottenham can win the league this year. Oh, Southampton can win the league this year." Played eight games, eight games. There's 30 more games to go. That is a lot of games, and you know, and, and go on. I let Gorsi go on. What what did you say? There just seems to be a strange kind of widespread viewpoint that, that anyone can win the league this season. Maybe it's because um, the, the league's changing hands quite a lot and there's been a few freak results. And the feeling that we're in November gives the idea that more football's being played, um, which isn't, obviously isn't the case, is it? Look, it's going to be Liverpool and it's going to be Manchester City 1-2 and two again. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Um, and although Leicester are a become more and more of a top team, you know, by the week under Brendan Rodgers. It's still it's still going to be City and Liverpool one and two for me. And, and I wrote as much in the the analysis of the game yesterday. Um, I, I think I don't know whether it's just born out of a desire to see someone new at the top that um, people are kind of getting carried away by Spurs, um, Leicester, you know, whoever it may be, Chelsea, whoever kind of puts together. Back-to-back wins at the moment seems to be getting touted as potential winners. Um, these are the two teams that are about 98, 99, 100 points, 97 points over the last few seasons. So um, it's going to take something special to, to jump above those two, isn't it? 
Mm. I mean, I think I might be—I think I might be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that there's five games for getting played in May. When was the last time that happened? Even if it's four, even if it's four, that is a lot of games. So normally you come into May and the title's more or less done, unless it's like when you know City and Liverpool were going, you know, going neck and neck. But it's not. There'll, there'll be twelve, fifteen points still up for grabs. So it's as Ghosty kind of said. Everyone's kind of feel by the fact. Oh, it's November and all these teams are still in it. Well, rewind about a month and. The thing is, obviously, Liverpool or City, whoever it is, there's normally a team, well, not normally, but the last couple of three years, there's been one team or possibly two just quite clearly gone ahead because they've won those early games. But because of all the reasons that we've mentioned already, lack of preparation, the injuries, the you know the relentless fixtures, no one's been able to do that so far. So would you put money, okay, would you put money on Southampton to win the league? You wouldn't. Would you put money on Leicester? No. Would you put money on Tottenham? You might do. Depends Tottenham what I've got. Tottenham, Leicester, Tottenham, to be fair. Yeah, Tottenham have got Mourinho, but they've got the Europa League, which, while it's okay for them at the moment, the longer they get in, that's two extra games because they've got an extra round as well. So they'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens when the European football finishes for a little while and see whether Liverpool and City, and to a lesser extent United, start making a bit of a, a move at the table. Although who knows who's going to be in charge of United then? Yeah, it's all going to be about Liverpool, but Ian Doyle listing off pretty much every Premier League side there <laughs> and the reasons why they won't be challenging for the Premier League title. I think that's us out of time, though, for today's Blood Red podcast. Plenty of ground covered. Do stick with us, of course, through the course of the international break. We've plenty still to come this week. Ale La Rouge analysing Anfield. And, of course, we'll be back on Friday with another edition of the Blood Red podcast. But from myself, Guy Clark, Ian Doyle, Paul Gorst and Matt Addison, thanks for your time and your company it's bye for now you've been listening to the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo